2: The Vox Media Podcast Network. All right, it is Thursday, June 1st, 2023. Show is heck of a morning. If you're on the East Coast, it's a heck of an afternoon. We are live on the MMA Fighting Twitter space. You can hear the show in its entirety. Shortly thereafter, on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. Hello, everybody. I am Mike Heck. Thank you for your patience. Wasn't sure if we we're going to be able to do a show today, but made it happen. It has been a, a very busy day. Very busy day indeed. We, my wife and I. We closed on a little condo, kind of like a second property. And my mother-in-law has been living with us since November of 2021. And we wanted to buy like an investment property. And we wanted to get a place where she could kind of have her own space. And lo and behold, we accomplished both of those things. So closed. I unloaded a moving truck this morning. It's been a morning, everybody, but luckily had enough time to get back here, get a bite to eat, and now I am live with all of you guys, so it kind of made the schedule a little bit wonky, doing the show a little bit later today live, and we'll do BTL a little bit later on as well, 3 p.m. Eastern, we will go live on the YouTube channel, it will be Jed Mishu and Alexander K. Lee back on the program. It's been a minute since AK's been on BTL, but he's going to join, try to turn that kind of weird record upside down a little bit. And it should be a fun show. So 3 p.m. Eastern, we'll go live on BTL, but we are here today to talk about MMA. We could talk about the return of the Ultimate Fighter, which went down on Tuesday. I did not watch live. I have been... Just dealing with this nasty-ass, like, head cold. It's really kicked the living crap out of me. So, just deal with my voice. If I have to cough a little bit, just forgive me for that. But I did not watch live. I took some NyQuil on Tuesday. Fell asleep. I watched it yesterday. I have to say, I'm a little bit intrigued. It wasn't, like, the best episode ever. It wasn't the worst episode ever. It's... Kind of the same show, but at least it was done a little bit differently. We already have the matchups in place. I like the fact that the veterans are on one team and the prospects are on another team. I have a feeling things with Connor and Chandler are going to explode. If you saw sort of the pieces of the season to come, you saw the moment where Connor and Chandler went nose to nose or some pushing and shoving, Dana White started running and has become one of the best memes of the year. But they got me me intrigued to watch week two. I will say that it was nice to see a guy like Roosevelt Roberts come in after a tough run in the UFC and have a quick finish. So all in all, they got me at least intrigued to watch episode number two, and we'll see how this all plays out. Not sure if this is going to be the type of thing that's going to hook me to be a fan of the show forever, but at least they got me intrigued to watch next week. So... We could talk about that. We could talk about the UFC card coming up on Saturday, UFC Vegas 74, headlined by Kai Carr France versus Amir Albazi. We could talk about Bellator getting a flyweight division. We could talk about Bellator versus Ryzen 2. We could talk about how the PFL season has been kind of a disaster with failed drug tests. We're going to be talking about a lot of that stuff on BTL today as well. But whatever you want to talk about. I am your man for the next 45 minutes to an hour. Tristan, you were first in line. Let's go.
0: Okay, Mike, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Uh, the question I have is, uh, I just want to know your thoughts about Nick Mayer's response back to Bloody Elbow in regards to um, uh, him thinking or possibly being toned up about or being criticized about how the – fight cards are being uh, match-made or put together. Um, I was listening to uh, Brian Campbell and um, Luke Thomas talk about it, and it was, it was I was pretty taken aback of how Mick Maynard was not understanding why he was being critiqued. So just your whole thoughts about the whole thing. Thanks, Mike. Yes,
2: yeah, so Mick Maynard came out and just out of nowhere dropped a tweet during the off week about well maybe bloody elbow will find a way to complain about the card this weekend even though there wasn't one. Kinda taking shots and then he said some other things. Let me just let me pull it up real quick. See if I can get the full context here. I did see it. I kinda chuckled at it like most others did. But let's take a let's see if we could find everything. Do 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 Bet you Bloody Elbow complained about the UFC card this weekend. I have no idea why I'm doing this but which card did you actually think was bad? These athletes have been amazing. And then he said something else too about not remembering. It said it's been years since there was like a bad UFC card. Let's see if I can find it. Let's see. Someone responded, said, with all due respect, don't feed the trolls. There are plenty of fans who really, really love awesome UFC shows every week especially with the different tones and vibes. Stars are born and Apex shows. The blend of journalism and acerbic, angsty opinion is frustrating. And then makes it it's an honest question. I actually do remember the last fight card, and it's been many years ago. I feel the more cards we have, the more opportunity, the negativity is odd to me. Look, he is part of the company. He's one of the head honchos for the company. He is one of the matchmakers. And throughout a lot of our preview shows and all of this, we have talked about the quality of these cards. And some of them have been pretty solid for fight night cards. And some of them on paper have not been very good. They have not been very good on paper. There are times where we'll say, hey, look, if you got nothing better to do on a Saturday and you watch this card, you're probably not going to be upset with it because the matchmaking as a whole has not really been bad. A lot of, at least with these fight night cards, even though some of these names aren't really recognizable, they are pretty well matched. Even like the, the card a couple weeks ago, the McKenzie Dern Angela Hill card, a lot of those fights were close fights, even on the betting odds, they were matched pretty, pretty, pretty well. So it's not the matchmaking that's an issue. It's, making people care about the stakes. And I think that's what people want more than anything is stakes and they want storyline and they want fights to matter outside of just wins and losses. So again, the UFC, Dana White in particular, and we're seeing this from some, from Mick here, they lump everybody into the same category. And that's just not true. Now, oftentimes we'll look at cars and be like, eh, this is just not great but it doesn't mean we're like, don't watch it because if you do watch it, you're probably going to get some enjoyment out of it because some of the matchups are, are pretty rock solid and the betting odds would suggest that like this card on Saturday is not bad. It's not a bad card. Kai Kaikar France and Miro Bazzi's, great main event. Alex Caceres, Daniel Pineda, great fight. Jim Miller, Jared Gordon, interesting fight. Tim Elliott, Victor Altamirano, pretty fun fight. Karine Silva, Ketlin Souza could be decent. Like, there's some good matchups on here. The issue is nobody knows who a lot of these fighters are, and the UFC is doing a pretty bad job of getting people to care about the stories of these fighters. And I don't put onus on the matchmakers for this. I put it on the promotion because they could be doing more. Yes, it is on the fighters to get themselves over in some ways, But instead of tweeting about Power Slap events, you could be tweeting about the upcoming fight cards or teasing things about the next fight card. Get people invested in the fighters and the events. And the UFC does a pretty bad job at that. So I think that's really the issue. I I thought it was kind of hokey that Mick came out and said that, especially when most people aren't blaming the matchmakers. Like, the cards are pretty well matched. It's just... There's so many of them. We understand the deal. We understand what's happening here. That's all. That's all. But there have been some stinker events. There have been a couple of events because you're, normally I, I host the post-fight shows and I have to write up the headlines and I usually clear with, with a couple of other people on the site of what I'm going to write. And there have been a couple of fight night cards where the headline was almost, was that the worst fight card of the year? Because there have been a couple like that. So, so to say that, It's been a few years since the last bad fight card. It's just not true. It's just not true. But I thought it was kind of weird. And again, this is higher-ups in the UFC, just lumping everybody together, and that shit drives me crazy. But it is what it is. I've come to terms with it. That's just what's going to happen, my friends.
3: Uh, Abzualia, hello. What's up, Mike? Heck of a morning. How you doing? Good. What's up? Yeah, so um. Just uh, two things. I'll, I'll start off with this one. It's more of a statement than a question. I, I'm really um, intrigued and excited about how the heavyweight division is currently going right now. We actually, I guess for the first time in maybe seven years, eight years, that we're actually having at least four, five guys who are possible future title Holders or, or the number one contenders, you know, and I'm really curious to see where the division is going to head towards the next three, four years. Like, And I think maybe if everything goes well for Tom Aspinall, he could become the number one title bearer for the next maybe at least two, three years, you know, barring any injuries and stuff. I just also wish that, you know, Dana never fucked up the whole Francis thing you know, um, because it would have been really interesting to see Francis fight some of these guys right now, especially how great his takedown defense has improved, um, over the last few years, and how, you know, how he's been more of an IQ fighter. You know, it really does suck, and obviously, if you look at the history of the UFC, they've they've probably screwed up and blown more opportunities to make the UFC heavyweight, um you know, host some big super fights, you know, such as the um, Fido versus um, Brock or Alistair fight. You know, we had, you know, there was also, I think, maybe Daniel Cormier versus Francis and Ngannou, you know. Just just a few off the top of my head. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a really cool division. I can't wait to see where it goes in the next few years. Um, I think there's all, you know, especially now we've seen with uh, Jelten Almeida, you know, uh, Volkov, um, Spivak, you know, Pelvic, all these guys. Like it's just really interesting. And um, the other thing I wanted to say is, um, with um, this Saturday's uh, uh, card, you know, um, with the main event, what round could you see uh, if if Kai Francis were to win? What round could you see him win the fight in? Thanks, man. That's all I have. Have a great day.
2: Yeah, heavyweight is, is pretty interesting right now. It's also kind of weird because we have John Jones as the champion. We assume he's going to fight Stipe next, but there hasn't been like an official announcement of that yet. So when you're dealing with two personalities like that who can typically be tough to get on the same page and make extremely happy, and I want to be perfectly clear about this, I applaud them for being like that and wanting to get what they feel they deserve for a fight of this magnitude. And there's no guarantees of anything. And if John Jones beats Stipe, then I don't know what's going to happen. Is he going to stick around and try to break records or is he just going to be like, nah, I'm out of here. Let's see if a star can emerge and then maybe I'll come back and fight them. So the potential is there for a very fun division it's just a matter of how this is going to play out. When is John and Stipe going to fight? Are they going to fight? Is John going to win? Is he going to leave? Is he going to stick around? And then we kind of see what's going to happen with Sergey and Jelton Almeida. And, you know, Tommy Aspinall is, an, is another guy. He's fighting Marcin Taibora. I think Tommy Aspinall is a very high ceiling, but the Curtis Blades fight, and it's unfortunate the way that it ended, I'm just, I'm not ready to anoint him just yet. I know a lot of people are. I'm not quite there yet. Like, even if he beats Marching Tibora, I think it's a matchup that is, t- I think it's a little tougher than people think it is, but I do think it's fav- a bit favorable for Tommy Aspinall. So even if he goes out there and beats Marching Tybora, which I think he will, I don't know necessarily if I get the answers to the questions I have about him. So I feel like, rushing him like right into whatever spot that could be to for an interim title or a vacant title or, or whatnot, I think it might be a little bit too soon. I think if we're looking at who could be an actual star in this division, I think Asvidal has all the makings of one, but you don't want to rush him too fast into a fight that he may not necessarily be ready for. So I love the Tybora fight. I think it makes a lot of sense, and I think it's a good way to potentially build him up get him a big win in front of a raucous crowd that's going to be rooting for him and could be a cool thing. But, yeah, it's going to be very... The next year is going to be really interesting for the heavyweight division. Because you can... In this division, you can make moves real quick. Like, if Marcus Rogério de Lima just goes out there and just melts Derek Lewis, when you go out there and you beat Derek Lewis, usually good things happen for your career. You get put into big spots... Look what happened with Sergey Pavlovich. Derek Lewis, then he gets tied to Ibasa, then he gets made a bit with Curtis Blades, and now he's knocking on the door of a title shot. You can make moves up this division very quickly. So the way it looks right now is fascinating, but in the next year or two, it could look even more fascinating. So, yeah, potential is there for a very fun division over the next year to 18 months, but just a matter of, how John Jones fits into this? Does he fit into this? And if so, how does he fit into this? And with the main event on Saturday, I don't think this one's going to the cards. I think there is going to be a finish here. I'm probably leaning Kai Car France. I'll say round three. Either way, before it goes to the championship rounds, I think that fight's going to go, going to get stopped. Uh, four Corner Sports. Then we'll go to J Stat. Then we'll go to Derek. What's up, Four Corner Sports?
4: Hey, Mike. Um, I wanted to ask you. So, how come the UFC doesn't really? I mean, they don't. They, in my opinion, I think they should try to book this John Jones CP fight. But uh, my question is, how come they don't do like these, like, like multiple city tour, um, like events? You know how like they ended up doing like promos for like, like when when Mag- oh. when McGregor had like a big. You know, fight and stuff like that. How come they don't do that often? I'm not saying they have to do it with only McGregor, but you know, I would feel like Jones versus CPA is a big fight, and and that made me question. Like, I believe it was like Tristan had uh, the question earlier, and it made, it made, and it made me think. I was like, you know, the, the UFC is on a big platform with ESPN, and if you really think about it, I mean, you could probably ask people on your softball team, you know, they probably maybe know about like three to four fighters off the top of their heads. And the UFC should should have really tried to at least expanded and try to promote these fighters like people like Kevin Holland who shouldn't have to pr- promote himself. People discovered who he was in 2020, and you know you you know there's plenty of good fighters you know on multiple cards and stuff like that, and you know the average person doesn't know who they are, and that's somewhat you know puzzling because you're on a big platform as ESPN, and I, I understand you know maybe Dana has the agenda of. Nobody should be bigger than a brand. But don't you think it's, it's a little bit weird that, you know, it's on, you know, the UFC is on ESPN and, you know, I felt like, you know, fighters are bigger on Fox when they were on uh, on their uh, platform. And I wanted to ask you also, this is a weird curtain jerker of a fight, but why is Felipe Linz fighting Maxine Gresham? I feel like this is actually a fight that could be on the main card. I mean, you could replace uh um, off of the the opener of the main card, and you could put Lens and Grisham on that main card. I feel like Lens versus Grisham is actually a good, you know, doable fight to have on the main card. But I just think it's weird to have as a curtain jerker. But um, all right, thanks, Mike.
2: Yeah, I mean, I didn't really think too much of it. Grisham, I think, is kind of op- is opened a couple of cards. If memory serves me correctly, but. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of two things. It's either they feel like this fight's going to go to the cards and it's not going to be all that thrilling, or they feel like it's going to be a good hot start to, to get the card going and someone's going to get put to sleep fast. So, yeah, I mean, again, these fight night cards, I don't really care too much about the card placement. I think really the only spot that really stands out is the main event. Because it's all in one thing. You can call it prelims and main card, but it's all in one. It's all on ESPN Plus, and it just goes from the prelims. You don't have to change the channel or anything. It's it's all like one card. So I don't really think too much of that. As far as the World Tour thing, I mean, here's the thing. there's When are you going to do it? When would you do the World Tour? And how would you pull it off when you have cards every week? Because it's rinse-repeat. Card happens on Saturday, Sunday you take a day off, then there's Monday, fighters start coming into Vegas or wherever the card's going to take place, they get in Tuesday, media day Wednesday, press conference stuff Thursday, weigh-ins Friday, fights on Saturday, and then we do it again the next week, and then sometimes there's a pay-per-view, sometimes you have to travel, there's just no time to do it. Like, we get one week off every 12 to 13 weekends, and then back at it for another 12 to 13 weeks. The only real break that the UFC gets is after the last fight night card in December. Then it's like Christmas week, New Year's week, maybe another week, and then it's back at it again. So there's not enough time to do it. Number two, what's they don't really need to do it. They have no... like. The UFC has won. They have won the game. They have no competition right now. They have no competition. There are other promotions out there who, that people are aware of, but they have no direct competition. And that's why I, can, I I tend to call where the UFC is at right now where the WWF was in the mid to late 80s where they had no real competition there were other regional brands that people were aware of, that people liked for different reasons, depending on where you lived in the United States or around the world. But WWE had their own thing. They, were, they had WrestleMania. They had closed-circuit television that did really well. They were selling out arenas. They were on MTV. They were everywhere. But they had no direct competition. And until they got competition, that's when things started to change. That's when the sport changed. That's when their format changed, and that's where everything really changed. And even when we talk about fighter pay and things of that nature, when WWF back in those days were the juggernaut and so far ahead of everybody, those, the wrestlers weren't getting big money. The stars were. The ones they were able to get over, the Hogans and Pipers and whatnot, they were making great money, but most of the other talent wasn't. And when Vince would sign people, they would basically say, look, We'll give you this. I can't give you much more, but I can give you an opportunity to get over and if you get over, then the riches could come your way. And I feel like that's where the UFC is right now because they don't have any competition. They don't need to overpromote because they have nobody really nipping at their heels right now. They've won the game. They're getting so much money from this ESPN deal. They're making so much money hand over fist. I mean, they're printing money. They're printing money. They're killing it. They sell out all these arenas. Cities around the of the world are paying them multi-million dollars to come to their area. I mean, there's no need for them to really do that from a business perspective. Plus, there's really no time to do it. Now, back when Connor and Aldo were getting after it, yeah, the UFC was starting to get some space in the competition, but... They knew they had a big star in Connor. They just needed to show him off to everybody so he could become even, an even bigger star. And the casual audience knows who John Jones is. That's why the March pay per view did so well. The UFC, on their, one of their recent stockholders' calls, said that was the most lucrative pay per view they've had in the last year. And there wasn't a lot of time to promote that one. That one came quick. And then six weeks later, the fight happened and it did bonkers numbers. It was gigantic. So I think the casual audience is with John, they know who he is, but with some of these other fighters, it's a little bit of a problem, but at the same token, they're getting money just to put these cards on. So there's really no need and there's really no need from a business perspective, to spend any more money than you have to when people are going to buy it anyways, and then they could just save the promotional push for the fighters that the casual audience knows you can really push it. So they don't really need to do that right now. And that's why they're not. But that's, I mean, like I said, they're they're killing it, printing money left and right. They've won. They're winning by a lot.
0: and visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't
3: miss it. J-Stat, hello. Hello, Mike. Heck of an afternoon in this case.
2: Yes. What's up,
3: man? <laughs> um, what is next for Rachmanov?
2: a great question I have no idea I have no idea I, I, I don't know what they're gonna do Bilal is a great pick and I'm not ruling that out at this point I just feel like why would Bilal do that at this moment I mean, Sean Brady's fighting Jack Della Maddalena, but I don't know if they're going to pair... Like, if JDM wins that fight, fighter, they're going to pair him up with Shafkot? Probably not. I don't know. He's going to have to probably... He's going to have to fight backwards. RDA's fighting Luke A. He already fought Jeff Neal. Wonderboy's fighting Pereira. Colby's fighting for the belt. Gilbert's hurt. Bilal's waiting. Shamayev's Shamayev if Shamayev goes to 185 Shafkov versus Usman would be really interesting that would be a really interesting fight but if not he's fighting backwards where he's gonna fight I have no idea who he's gonna fight I have no idea so it's, it's a good question I'm I'm curious about that one as well Derek what's up How's it going, Mike? Yeah, I uh, I watched the first episode of Tough, and I mean, I agree with you. Not the best, not the worst episode I've ever seen, but uh, Chandler seems real invested in his team, and you know, he brought in Bader and all his coaches, and uh, McGregor, you know, just classic McGregor shows up in a shoot uh, suit and tie, and uh, he wasn't at his his fighters weigh in. Um, I have a feeling it's going to be a long season for the prospects. Just wanted to know your thoughts on that. I mean, you had Roosevelt Roberts going and starts the guy in 10 seconds. So, I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. Have a hell of a morning, man. Yeah, it wasn't a great start for Team McGregor. But Connor not showing up to a weigh-in on tough is not really all that surprising. And I'm sure that's not going to be the last time that happens. So, didn't really think much of it. I know he did the season with Faber. I don't know if he was at every single weigh in, in every single event that came to pass, fight bookings and matchups and all that stuff. I don't remember him being at everything, but I also haven't watched that season in its entirety and haven't watched a single second of that season in a long time. I watched a single second of Tough in years. That was probably the first episode of Tough that I've watched in five years it's been that long so yeah we'll see well see. i mean if this is like a regular if he's missing practices if he's missing fights that's another thing but i don't know him missing a, a weigh in didn't really think too much of it but chandler ain't gonna miss a weigh in, that's for sure patty what's up can you hear me yep Um, I am wondering if you know what's up with Eagle FC. (laughs) Uh, Wonderful question uh, that I don't have an answer to. Let me see what they're up to. I think they have another card coming up. June 17th. I mean, they're running events. they had a july, they had a july card and august two august cards october december De- december again and then this will be the first card of 2023 but they did have that run in the US and people thought that maybe eagle fc can be the next big thing right we they, they were making all these big signings we're seeing like Rashad Evans fights. They were bringing in a lot of familiar names. They had the FlexCast Arena doing the thing in Miami. It seems like they were getting some some rockets strapped to him, bringing in Kevin Lee and Diego Sanchez and other guys like that. And their broadcast team was like nothing but heavy hitters with Chael and Usman and... Sehudo was a part of it, which was like the best part of the actual broadcast was listening to Henry Sehuto pronounce people's names. I enjoyed that very much. But we kept at like it got to the point where we did our We did our draft, our little fantasy draft, drafting for promotions. And Eagle FC was one of the promotions because not only were their cards providing name value, but the traffic on our website when those cards are happening, were like through the roof. Like they were running over the UFC, running over Bellator, PFL, what have you. If Eagle FC had an event around the same time as the others or the same weekend, Eagle FC was usually winning. And my whole question was like, how are they able to do this? How are they able to just bring in all these fighters do it at this arena, overpay for them all, and still somehow make a profit. And after the Junior Dos Santos, you're going to your card, we haven't had a U.S. card since. So I, I I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. I think they just kind of I, – I, maybe they like overexerted themselves, but there was just a lot of weirdness about it to begin with when it came to the matchmaking and who was getting paid what and how and all that stuff, like there was just a lot of unanswered questions that we weren't getting like anywhere with. And we were just wondering if it was a matter of time before this big push for them was going to stop. And it's been, when was that? May of 2022? over a year since the last Miami card so they're back June 17th and we'll see yeah it's a weird one they were there and they were getting buzz and then they were just gone let's go to Martin what's up Martin
1: oh Mike can you hear me
2: yep what's going on man
1: Not much, man. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller, but uh, I noticed that you're a golf fan as well as an MMA fan, as am I. So this question might seem a little bit out of the blue, but if you had to create a four-man scramble of MMA fighters and the goal was to go low and have fun, who would your four be? Thanks, Uh, Mike.
2: Oh, man. To go low and have fun. So I don't think, like, I think I would have fun with anybody. So I'd probably try to find – it seems like DC's a pretty decent golfer. Like he's got that Barkley-esque swing, but the swing don't matter. As long as the ball gets in the hole, it doesn't matter what it looks like. So I think DC would be a good one. Seems like Gaethje can play a little bit. And I think Gaethje on the golf course would be be a, a good time. So it'd be those two guys. Um, one more. I'd probably need like. I probably need like a little bit of a wild card on my side, plus somebody I'm familiar with that can speak my language. So I'd probably go with like a. With like a Calvin Cater, because I don't. Th- he's probably not a very good golfer. But I bet he'd be fun to have around. He'd tell jokes. He'd talk a little shit about how the Boston sports teams are better than most others. And he seems like the kind of guy if, like, we get a ball on the fairway and you just kind of slap Calvin on the back and say, go hit it as far as you can, man. He would just go up there and just take a whack at it. So, yeah, I think that'd be a, a pretty fun foursome right there. I think we'd have a good time. That's a great question, though. It's something that I want to do. It's something that I want to do. Trying to find a way to incorporate playing a little golf with some fighters. We just haven't really been able to to link up yet. But I've planted a lot of seeds, just a matter of like logistics and how we can make this happen. But um, I'm going to be in Dallas in August, which is a brutal time to try to play golf. And there's a lot of fighters in the Dallas area. So maybe we maybe we can get get a little rounded and have some fun. See if we can make it happen. We almost did something in Jacksonville. It didn't pan out, though. Uh Barbarusa, hello. Um, hi, Mike. How are you doing?
0: Good. How are you? Uh, uh, good, good. Uh, since we are talking about the Ultimate Fighter and Conor, uh, I just wanted to ask you, it's not uh, exactly about Ultimate Fighter but uh, about uh, press conferences in general. What's what's the line or just uh, the moment do you think it's the most uh, iconic in the press conferences history? For me it was like uh, in the Rio de Janeiro press conference when when uh, when the fans booed Connor and then it was iconic, he said, "I'm putting my feet over the disc. What are you going to do about it?" And John, um, if it was a different time, this is for me. I just want to know what's uh, what's yours. Thank you, Mike.
2: There's, I mean, there's a lot of good ones. That was a good one. I think Connor, yeah, Connor taking the bell from Aldo was uh, was a big one. But the one that always sticks to me is the who the f who, who the is that guy the Jeremy Stevens come back. That was just unreal. Unbelievable timing. like everything just everything just fit in right for that moment. That was just incredible stuff. Or how does a bill become a law over and over again? I'm just joking. that was really bad but yeah who the fuck was that guy it was probably my favorite this is just so immaculately timed Every just the moment just everything came together and boom is incredible four on sniper hello
0: mike can you hear me yep okay there we go i'm having issues sorry about that uh you good well heck of an afternoon um so we're talking about the ultimate fighter and uh what do you call it? What's his name? Jesse Taylor. Uh, I remember first season for him, he was supposed to go to the finals, got kicked off the show, and then nine years later, he came back and he actually won that episode. Uh, so I was curious what happened to him and why did he not, you know, make his return to UFC? Because I, you know, I don't know what happened to him. Wait, who is this? Say it again. Uh, Jesse Taylor. My, my sinuses are acting up, so I can't speak properly right now.
2: Oh, it's all good. Jesse Taylor. Um, yeah, man, I, I don't know. I think there was, um, let me, let me, let me do some Googling here. So I know there was a, there was a USADA test that he failed. And then I'm not really sure what happened after that. I f- like I'm friends with him on Facebook. Um, so he got after after that failed test, he got released, or at least he did some interviews saying that that he was released. Up oh, Jose Young's coming through in a big way here. Um, so he failed the USADA test, said it was a tainted supplement. I think there was like a long thing going on, trying to clear his name, got really expensive. And I think he ended up just getting released from the company. And then that was it. And I think he's fought a bunch since then too. Yeah, I knew it was a USADA test of some kind. I think he ended up getting released after getting a year suspension. That was, let me go back. Cause he's, he's fought a bunch since. So ultimate fighter won the finale. Then he did some grappling, fought at ACA in 2019, got submitted in the first round. Fought Seth Bazinski in August of 2021, got a first round submission. Fought again in November of 2021, got a 32nd submission, and then he just fought in March uh, for Battle uh, Battlefield Fight League. Yeah, Battlefield Fight League in Canada, and he got submitted in the first round by Jared Revel. Now he was supposed to fight at Cage Warriors. 148 against CLD, Christian Leroy Duncan. And I believe the day of the fight, there was some sort of like hit and run accident. And the fight was canceled. I think it was the New Year's Eve card. And then that was kind of the last we heard from him. So I know just based on like things he said on Facebook, he wanted another chance with the UFC and they just kind of cut bait. And we're like, "Now nah, we're good. And that's really it. Yeah, he failed the test, got suspended, and then got released. And he's still trying to fight, but I don't think we'll see him in the UFC. How old is he now? Is he 40 yet? He's got to be close. Yeah, he is 40. Just turned 40 in February. So I don't think we'll be seeing Jesse Taylor back in the UFC. Will we see him on our television screens fighting? Wouldn't surprise me, but... Yeah, weird story. Thank you, Jose. James, what's up, buddy?
3: Hey, Mike, good morning to you. Um, I want to apologize for your Celtics. I'm a Nuggets fan myself, and I was kind of hoping that your Celtics would have came in because either way, I would have been happy. I would have been happy for you if your team would have got it. And also, I've been happy if Nuggets would have got it. But I know that you're still probably angry at Miami's fans. So, how happy will you be tonight if Nuggets just blow the heat, just out of the building? Are you going to be the villains kind of twirling the mustache, going back at these trolls? Are you just going to wait until after the sweep? And, uh, oh, crap, I had an MMA question for you, but I guess I'll just save it for tomorrow. But have a heck of a morning, Mike, and enjoy the game tonight.
2: Um, I'm kind of over it. I said what I had to say. And, look, like I said on Tuesday show, if Miami fans just like let it be and didn't like flood my DMs with bullshit, I wouldn't have said a word about it. It would have been over and done with. But they started it. I said what I had to say. And I hope Denver kicks the living shit out of them. I hope they just annihilate them by 40 every single game. Will I care either way? No. But – You started it, not me. I didn't go on the show and just talk a bunch of noise. I woke up to all your noise. And I responded. So, but yeah, I think Denver's going to do well. I think I'll be a little frustrated seeing some of Miami's heroes in the Eastern Conference Finals if they have, like, bad shooting nights. There's a bunch of memes going around being like, oh, after torching the Celtics during the Eastern Conference Finals, this guy is 2 of 13 from the field. That shit will probably frustrate me a little bit. But all in all, I don't really care. But I just kind of wish that the Heat fans didn't involve me in it. Just should have kept your venom to yourself. But all in all, it won't affect my day either way. Jose, what's up, my man?
1: What's up, guys? Um, I am calling in because I know what happened. I the, For the full story of the Jesse Taylor situation, because I've written about this a few times, it all happened before I was at MMAfighting.com. But he got, so obviously he won the, the Tough Redemption after he initially got released because he kicked out the limo uh, thing. I think that was the Amir Sadala, CB Dalloway Tough. I, can't, I think CB replaced him. I can't remember. That's so long ago. But obviously he won Tough Redemption. I think it was tough 25, actually, 2017. Yeah. Um, and then he popped for I think it was low-level estrogen blocker. So in his argument was it was so low, uh, there was no way he knowingly took to the banned substance, but he got a one-year suspension for the low-level estrogen blocker when he thought it'd be a six-month suspension. But so obviously they gave him a one-year suspension. And then when it came up, when his suspension was done. I know they offered him a fight. I can't remember who it was against, but I know it was on UFC Moscow at Welterweight because he was fighting Welterweight at this time and it was super short notice. So he declined it because A, he I don't think he was gonna be able to make weight on short notice, because Jesse Taylor's a big guy, um, especially in Moscow. Yeah. So he turned the fight down because he didn't want to look like a like an idiot in his return fight after a one year suspension. And then less than a month later, the UFC just the UFC released him. Uh so he got a one-year suspension and then released right when his suspension came up. So if they had released him right away, he probably could have fought. So he was basically shelved for a year and then cut, which is, in his eyes, the UFC and Usada did him dirty. I think it was, I don't, I might be speaking out of, out of, I might be thinking someone else, but something similar with Tom Lawler happened. Like he popped, but it was low enough that it was a tainted supplement. And then during his suspension, if if the science they had used. Retroactive, like retroactively, he could have been like it could have been a lesser suspension, but it was like a two-year suspension. Then he got released right when the suspension was up. So this was like five, six years ago when Usada was. Uh, a lot of fighters were not happy with Usada because they would suspend them for long periods of time. Then in Jesse Taylor's case, he sat out an entire suspension and then got, got cut after turning a fight down. So. That is what happened to Jesse Taylor. Uh, I don't. I think he's fought like four or five times since. I think he's like five hundred. I know he lost to Seth Baczynski um, at a catchweight in Arkansas in 2021. But other than that, don't really know. But that is the full story of what happened with Jesse Taylor's release. Uh, fought for tough twice. Won once. Didn't even make the finale because he kicked the limo window up.
2: <laughs> uh, thank you, Jose. Jesse Taylor will be an interesting documentary down the road that's for sure yeah that tough 25 season was was interesting like the redemption season yep so since that yeah he lost in 2019 beat Seth Pazinski, beat Daniel McWilliams and then just lost his last fight a few months back so very strange career for Jesse Taylor. All right. I think we are we are done. Uh, again, appreciate the patience. We had to go a little bit later today, but tomorrow we'll do the normal time, 10 a.m. Eastern, free-for-all Friday, so we can talk about anything and everything, MMA, not MMA, whatever the hell you want to talk about. We'll be back with BTL, 3 p.m. Eastern, special start time, Jed Mishu versus... My best friend, Alexander Kaylee should be a lot of fun. So join us in the YouTube channel. And until then, everybody, have a great rest of your Thursday. And as always, have a heck of a morning, everybody.